Hey, welcome back to the Brazos Point living room. We've got the three amigos back together again. Michelle, Randy, and myself. And this week we are in John chapter 10. And as we jump in, my first question for you guys is, what or who was the biggest influence on your group of friends growing up? My dad. <laughs> on on you or all your your whole group of friends? My whole group of friends because he was our scout master. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say because your only friend was your sister. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had my scout friends. Right. <laughs> yeah, he was my scout His master. <laughs> I did have my cousins too, yeah. Um, well, that's pretty different from what I was going to say. <laughs> Which it. is Jim Carrey. <laughs> <laughs> wow, those are two very different people. <laughs> two very different people. Um, but yeah, like we quoted those movies. We acted like him in his movies. Ace Ventura. We, Ace Ventura, yes. Dumb and Dumber. We, uh, all of it. I mean, Randy and I did a whole world geography project that was Ace Ventura themed. So it was a pretty big influence. Yeah. We even, you know, appreciate Cable Guy. Yeah. Mm. Look it up. Yeah, the movie. <laughs> yeah, because you don't know it. Look it up. Uh, the mask. Yeah. What do you got, Joseph? I think uh, my mind immediately went to being young, like really young kid. Uh, mine was the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> like my friends and I would have just like, who's who? And we would just pretend to be them all the time. And I see that happening now on my kids it's mm -hmm. like it's it's fun to see but yeah the ninja turtles were a huge influence also pretty Isn't different it? from randy's dad <laughs> he's more like a ninja turtle than he is like jim carrey <laughs> <laughs> but i always thought it was fascinating that their names were renaissance artists mm -hmm. what, 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 how'd they Just get there? layers of yeah. meaning wow. <laughs> wow somewhere in the origin story teenage mutant renaissance <laughs> painters <laughs> <laughs> That's that's it, though? You didn't have any other influences, Randy? Just pop up? Well, I mean, I was going to say me. <laughs> you? Yeah. What? Well, it was just, I was. You were the big influence on your friends is what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, okay. Right. Because I was the, the troop leader. <laughs> My dad was a scoutmaster. I was senior patrol leader. <laughs> you just lived in Boy Scouts, huh? Oh, man, more than you know. He's an Eagle Scout. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to believe. Because <laughs> I'm not good with tying knots. <laughs> that's what they teach us. Oh, that's funny. Well, a lot to learn something new every day. Well, this week is we pick up in John 10. And the reason we're talking about our biggest influences is because Jesus is going to begin to compare himself to a shepherd and a shepherd that leads others and leads his sheep. So as we jump into John 10... Right away, Jesus starts to describe himself as a shepherd and us as the sheep. And so my question is, what is it about the relationship that about a shepherd and the, and the sheep that Jesus wants us to understand? And what does this tell us about him? I really think that the way to understand this is to kind of look at the shepherd's actions and the sheep's actions in this passage, right? So if Jesus is a shepherd, we're the sheep. And what I see in there is it says, man, that that he guides, he leads, he calls, he talks, he, you know, he names, he calls by name. And so there's all these initiative actions that the shepherd does. And then it just simply says that the sheep listen, the sheep follow. 
Mm. You know? Yeah. And so I love that because that's such a that's such a clear picture of what relationship with Jesus is because he does all the initiating, he does all the work. And we just listen and, and follow. follow. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the um picture of belonging that it gives to us and Jesus. Mm. We belong to him and also the protection that we know that that offers, you know, when you think about a shepherd and a sheep, the the shepherd and sheep. The shepherd can see things that the sheep can't. The shepherd knows things that the sheep don't, and um, knows what's best for the sheep when the sheep definitely don't know what's best for them. And it's the same. One of the things I read this week in preparation talks about. You know, I mean, I, when you have these kinds of messages, a lot of times it talks about how dumb sheep are and stuff like that. <laughs> but this one I was reading was talking about how defenseless sheep are. Yeah, and it's like, what is their defense? What is their natural defense mechanism? And that just made me laugh because they're, they're just puffy and white blobs, <laughs> you know, standing out in green fields, like, and they got nothing. They got literal nothing. It really. When we get the opportunity to go to Kenya and be around people who are herders, it really brings so many of these illustrations to life for me. Mm -hmm. Like they understand better than anybody in these moments where Jesus uses these as illustrations. And it's like, I have to take so many steps to get there. But like you say, like you really get a sense like, man, Jesus was talking to people who were herders and they understood these so clearly. And, And that's such a funny thing for you to say, like. We are, what, dumb. we are dumb too. What's the modern day American version of, of I am the good shepherd, you know? Like, I'm the good scoutmaster, maybe. <laughs> yeah. You wish. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. Depends on who you have. <laughs> well, Jesus also says that the sheep follow him, his sheep follow him because they know his voice, that they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they run away from them for they don't recognize the stranger's voice. So Jesus is describing there will be times where strangers' voices are calling to the sheep. So what are examples of voices that call us away from Jesus, the good shepherd? I think I think distractions in general is what comes to mind for me. Um, and I really like this picture of how the sheep know the shepherd's voice and how we're to know Jesus's voice. Because, um, Joseph, when you brought up being in Kenya and seeing people that really are herders in real life, one of the things you notice is how much guidance those shepherds do give. Mm-hmm. And and it's very, you can tell that the sheep know exactly what to do and recognize their shepherd's voice. Because sometimes it'll be an almost inaudible noise that the shepherd makes and all the sheep you know, turn directions or, you know, just an undetectable little motion and they know what to do, but they have to be tuned in and know their shepherd's voice and their shepherd's commands. And so when I think of what pulls me away from recognizing and tuning into God's voice, it's distractions. And that can come for me in a variety of ways. It can come in busyness. It can come from good things, you know, things that are good things to do or good things to focus on, but might pull my focus away from God's voice. When I was in college, I was a youth pastor at a small country church, and I ran around with this rancher a lot, and I just became really good buddies. I mean, he's more than twice my age, and uh, I'd never been around herders, but I had been around ranchers, and he could call the cows, I mm-hmm. mean, from out in the North 40, and there was a certain noise, and they knew his voice, knew it. and he'd start making that noise and just screaming it out, and sure enough, they would come in for that food. 
That's uh, that's another phrase I don't understand. North 40? <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? It's like 40 more acres to the north of us. Uh, and they're out there far away. Far. It must be a Boy Scout thing. No, it's a <laughs> Texas country thing. Yeah, that's interesting. Learn something new. North 40. Yeah. North 40. Um, I think, too, when it comes to this idea of, of strangers' voices and, and what that means for us now is what my mind goes to is lies that are masquerading as the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, the ones that uh, it's almost like a wolf in sheep's clothing kind of idea. And um, and also recognizing that these lies that masquerade as the truth, they're not always coming from external forces, but sometimes these are internal. Yes. Sometimes it's the, the stranger's voice is actually inside of our head instead of outside of us. Mm-hmm. Lies I tell myself. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think that sets up the next question then. Jesus talked about that he would call his sheep as well. So how can we be better equipped to recognize the voice of the good shepherd? If you're saying sometimes there's we're hearing multiple voices, how can we best be equipped to recognize the good shepherd's voice? But I think it's time and attention, right? So time, time with him, time in his word, the Bible, time specifically in his literal you know, Jesus' words spoken while he was on earth, uh, the Gospels, mm-hmm. and uh, and just spending time in those spaces so that we become so familiar with his voice and with his message and what it means for us. And praise God, we're in the New Testament, in mm-hmm. the Bible recap. Uh, it's so amazing to me. Like, we've gone through three quarters of the year, and it's all been Old Testament. It really just does have that sense of, yeah, but man, I, mean, I was so eager, so ready to get into the New Testament. And I'm enjoying it. And I'm not talking against the Old Testament, but man, it's it's refreshing. Um, but then the other thing I would say is not just time, but also attention. So, um, you know, it's like having our hearts and minds fixed and focused on Him where we're looking, we're listening, mm-hmm. uh, not just the time piece, but also that attention and focus. I love to talk about it in terms of uh, our minds, attention, and our heart's affections being fixed on Him. Um. I think that another just really practical thing that I I do because I need to is ask him for help recognizing his voice. Like, Lord, I need you to help me today. I need you to guide me through this hard conversation I need to have, or I I need your clarity on this next step that I think you're asking me to take or whatever it is. And then I will often follow that up with, and please help me to be sensitive to your leading, like help me to be able to see that it's you to discern your voice from the other voices, including my own. And I think time and attention are certainly the key to that. Um, It makes me think of one time when I was little, we went to, what town was it that had a peach festival? Was it Weatherford? Weatherford. We went to the peach festival and I got separated from my family and, you know, it was kind of busy. I think I'd gotten caught up like looking at some peach ice cream or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) And I got just a little bit panicked. It wasn't a long time, but I got a little bit panicked. And then clear as a bell, I heard my dad cough (laughs) from several yards away. And I just followed that until I found him. And I'm like, oh, I'm here. They didn't even know I was missing. Pop pop, pop up wasn't the least bit panicked. (laughs) He was not. (laughs) Heard him all the way in the North 40. (laughs) He's like, oh, con, she found us. (laughs) One other thing, like thinking about how we can be better equipped to recognize the voice of the Good Shepherd is, you know, I love what you were saying, Michelle, about prayers and just honest, simple prayers like asking for help. But I think also prayers of 
confession and repentance. Yeah. Because what we know is that that the the effect of sin is that sin separates. Right? So from a, a big picture perspective, mm-hmm. sin separates us from God eternally. Jesus takes care of that completely, and he takes care of that sin problem. But then even in relationship with God, even when we're justified and we're in that process of sanctification, growing in our relationship with God, our sin can't separate us in terms of taking away our acceptance, but it can have negative impacts on our relationship and our connection and our communion with the Lord. And so confessing that sin to God and then also repenting of it, walking away from it, having our affections exchanged from that sin into affections for Jesus, that better positions us to be able to hear the voice of God. Yeah, that relationship is intact. And I'm glad you brought that up because it reminds me of the book that I'm going through with some college girls right now. And it talked about how we, just like I said a minute ago, we ask God for guidance, we ask Him for clarity and um, to show us what the next step is on something. And then we have the sin in our lives that we know is sin. And, you know, if we're not listening to what we know God is telling us, if we're not willing to confess and stop the sin that we know is sin, then why would we listen to, you know, specific things that he's telling us. So I really like that, the idea of making sure that we've confessed and repented and then asking for help. Hmm. And I would add experience too, you know, like there's a whole lot of following Christ uh, and the maturity that comes with life and experience. And as we walk with him more, the more familiar we become with him. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, if we keep reading, um, we get to John 10.10, which is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. And Jesus really sums it up, and I'll just read it quickly. He said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's a powerful promise from Jesus. So my question is, how would you describe a full life? Jesus is promising to bring life and have it to the full. So what does that mean to you? I think the biggest keys to me to understanding the full life that Jesus is talking about is to look at the other half of the verse and contrast it with it. Like the contrast is what the thief does and that still kill and destroy. And so on the other side, if that looks like destruction, then that helps me see that the full life that Jesus offers is the opposite of something that destroys you. Instead, it's something that builds you. It's something that's constructive in our lives and it builds us up and uh and and grows us you know instead of tearing us down and destroying us yeah i really like that too and um it makes me think of isaiah 43 um in verse let's see i'll just do i'll start at one but now this is what the lord says he who created you jacob he who formed you israel do not fear for i have redeemed you i have summoned you by name you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. And to me, that's exactly what you just talked about, Randy, is that we will walk through those things like this. And he's talking to Israel here. Let me be clear. But it's it's when, not if. And like you're still going to experience fire. You're still going to experience the the sweeping rivers, but when I am with you, and that is what he's promised, is that he will be with us in those things, they won't destroy you like the thief does. Well, and this conversation in John 10 is a continuation of last week in John 9. Like the context of this chapter is it fits with John 9. 
And John 9 last week was all about understanding God's presence and pain and suffering and knowing that God has the power to heal uh, and all of that. And so, you know, we talked a good deal about that last week. And so I love that you're bringing that back up, that full life does not equal a life free of pain and suffering and struggle. Uh, that, that That's not at all the, the idea here. But what we have in that is that we know the full life does equal uh, an un relenting perpetual hope and peace and purpose and uh, and in spite of all the, the things that we still experience in a broken world those pieces of hope and peace and purpose that give us that Jesus gives us uh, they don't go away hmm. I I always think about Jesus describes the thief and in another parts in the New Testament Jesus describes the ruler of this world in many ways when he's talking about Satan and our enemy and he, he describes what he's come to do, and yet Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I just always think about, I, I'm always praying, God, help me to really understand what that means. Because everywhere around me, what a full life is described as is not what I think Jesus is talking about mm-hmm. here. And from everywhere around me, every I'm just being bombarded with, hey, here's what it means to have a good life. Here's what it means. It means having plenty of things and and my and the needs that are described are very different. And just I just think that's such a good reminder. Hey, Jesus is talking about a full life and really just taking time to think, man, what does that really look like? And is that anything about what I'm pursuing when I'm wanting to have a good life? Are they lined up? Are they the same? Yeah. But you know, I do think that a part of the full life does include relationships of course you know um because we're built for that and and not only are we built for that as humans but as a church we're remade and remodeled for that to need each other as the church and so this idea that relationships is a part of that full life that god gives us not just in relationship with him but then in relationship with the other members of the bride of christ the church and that's the the beauty and the value of things like small group is we're not sheep that are you know a one-on-one ratio with the shepherd is it personal absolutely do we have one-on-one personal relationship with jesus absolutely but it's also to be experienced in the herd and in community as we learn together to hear the shepherd to walk with the shepherd to follow him and uh, and we live in that community of the herd in a way that's just you know beautiful and small groups an expression of that like scouts and a scout master like scouts and a troop <laughs> church and a small group are you currently leading a scout no i don't have any tribes doesn't matter. No, it doesn't. But no, seems no, like no, a no. huge passion in your life that you're not. You know, it's really a part of my past, Joseph. Uh, but it was formative. So, <laughs> like Jim Carrey. Well, yeah. Well, you're looking for another leader. He's in my present. He's yeah. in my present. He's in my present. If you're looking for another leader, Randy sounds like he's probably actually not. I'm not interested at all. <laughs> Uh, well, as Jesus goes on to describe, again, that he is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep, his sheep know him, and he lays his life down for the sheep. And he goes on to describe that there are others who are shepherds as well, and yet they are not the same. And he goes on to describe that he is the good shepherd, but the others are hired hands. And he gives some descriptions of their differences, but what are the main differences between them? And what does this tell us about Jesus? I think the way that I like to understand this is thinking about the difference between owners and contractors. Um, you know, so um, the hired hand is the contract worker 
that's doing it for a wage, but they don't at the end of the day own the business. And the way that the owner is going to be invested with the business is a very different deal. And I don't know if it's from growing up with a, with parents who, who've always had a small business, mm-hmm. but man, I've watched this. And, uh, and, and the reality is like, no one's going to care for the customer. Like my mom and dad care for the customer. No one's mm-hmm. going to take care of the work, you know, and they, and they have employees that are good guys and, and good dudes and do good work. But at the end of the day, they own it at a level that the hired hand never will. And what Jesus is saying in this passage, like there is a point when the hired hand that's helping tend to the sheep, he's going to choose himself over mm-hmm. the sheep because he doesn't own them. They're not his. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's just there for a wage. But the shepherd owns them. They belong to him. They are his. And he will then lay down his life for them because they're worth it. You know, I mean, it's like a parent versus a nanny. A babysitter, maybe. yeah. A babysitter. Yeah. Uh, And so one of the other things Jesus goes on to describe in John 10 is he says, no one, he says, I lay my life down. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. What is the significance of what Jesus is saying here? The significance that he is the one who gives his life and that it is not taken from him. I think the immediate significance was he was training and preparing the disciples. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's speaking directly to the Pharisees in the context of this passage, but his disciples are there. They're learning. They're in earshot. John's taking this so that he writes this down eventually, right? And I think what Jesus is doing immediately with the disciples is he's showing them there's going to come a time very soon when the Jewish establishment and the Romans partner together and they put me on the cross, but don't make any mistake, uh, they didn't Mm -hmm. take anything from Mm -hmm. me. I am willingly choosing to lay down my life because ultimately I've come as a substitutionary atonement and I'm going to climb onto that cross willingly, willfully, because this is the will of the Father, laying myself down so that you can find life in my shed blood. Is a piece of it also pointing to his authority and his power? Like, I I chose to lay down my life. Yes, they were trying to have me killed and did have me killed or will have me killed. Um, But he didn't have to do that. Like, he could have, the way he chose to do that, he could have chosen not to do that. He has the power. Right. No, you're right. It's all about choice and authority. And... Uh, think about how many times already in the Gospel of John we've seen them want to kill Jesus, even attempt to kill Jesus, and by they his power, don't. they do not. Yeah. And so eventually when he goes to the cross, the only reason they're successful that time mm-hmm. is because that's the will of God and he allowed it to be successful. You yeah. know? So he's making it clear, this is my choice. I'm choosing this. I am a sacrificial lamb, um, but it's it's because mm-hmm. I've, I've given myself up. Yeah. I, I love this this reminder from Jesus in this moment, because it is, you know, of, of separated from the time where he actually is betrayed and stands trial and is ultimately killed. But I just, that reminder in the midst of, of that passion week and, and really his crucifixion of just, he was in control the entire time at any moment he could have stopped it. He willingly gave his life. He had the power and the authority to do whatever he wanted. And yet he chose Scripture tells us like a sheep before the slaughter, he didn't say a word. Well, and the and the deal is like Jesus had to die. Like in God's economy, there has to be blood. And Jesus came for his blood to be shed as a once and for all, forever atoning sacrifice for those who believe. And so you think about it and like this is obviously the way it would play out because this is what God intended. But instead of being rejected by the Jewish establishment, Jesus was obviously accepted by many Jews. And instead of being uh, rejected by Rome and, you know, threatening Rome, like if Rome and the Jewish establishment had accepted Jesus 
and he had this massive following. Mm-hmm. He still has to die. Mm-hmm. You know, so then instead of murdering him for a crime he didn't quit commit, they would have had to sacrifice him. I mean, all this is crazy hypothetical stuff, but the point is this: either way, Jesus is dying mm-hmm. because he has come from the very beginning, from his virgin birth, mm-hmm. for the point of death and dying a sacrifice. Yeah. And like we talked about last week with the blind man, all of that is so that God's power can be displayed and seen, and His love, the power of. God's love. And just like with the blind man, he was healed in that time. But you mentioned in your message, at some point, he did die. You know, like all of us do eventually die. And with Jesus, he could have died times along the way. And at this point is when he did. So it's just more of a picture of God's timing and his plan and how his power is made known. Well, I think to like to the sacrificial system with the, with the sacrificial lamb, you know, that lamb died. And it was a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the lamb wanted to go that way, you know. <laughs> and this time the lamb of God, the, the good shepherd, is saying, no, this is self-sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, this is my choice. I'm laying it mm-hmm. down. Yeah, he is a really good, he is the shepherd that gives his life on behalf of the sheep. Well, my last question for us, and really as, as Jesus continues to talk about being the good shepherd and being a shepherd, um, it, it brings to mind one of the most powerful psalms and that talks about God being a shepherd, and it's Psalm 23. And I want to do something a little different. I just actually want to read it out loud and then for us to talk about this last question, but here's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. How might this passage, Psalm 23, encourage you in the midst of your worry, fear, suffering, and struggles. I think one of my favorite lines in the whole psalm is he restores my soul. Mm. I think the version that you read said he refreshes my soul. Um, and just thinking about the reality that, man, that's what he does. It's not just that he refreshed and restored our souls and bringing us into relationship with him and justifying us, but over and over and over again as we live in him, walk with him, and you know, live on mission with him. God just continually is in the business of restoring and refreshing our souls. And so, you know, I mean, when it comes to the worry, the fear, the suffering, the struggles, those kinds of things, it's like we live with the the never-ending source of soul refreshment. Yeah. I also think as you were reading, it made me think back to John 10.10 and how this is a description of the full life. You know, there's, there's no fuller life than to walk with the Lord as your shepherd. And as you read through Psalm 23, there's plenty of hard things in there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's the valley of the shadow of death. That does not sound pleasant or easy, but we have his... His presence with us. And it makes me, when I think about the full life, the word that I think of is fulfilled. I can't think of a person 
that wouldn't say they want to feel fulfilled. Whatever their supposed definition or perception of fulfillment is, I think everybody wants to have that sense of being fulfilled. And often, fulfillment is not the easier thing. It almost, it's hardly ever the easier Mm -hmm. thing, you know? Like, if something, if you get something and it was hard won and worked for, that's much more fulfilling than if it was handed to you. And, you know, when you've walked through something hard and come out on the other side of it, there's a factor of growth. And um, that doesn't necessarily make it easier. But again, like we talked about last week, we saw how pain can have purpose, you know, and to me, Psalm 23 is a picture of all of those things and what it looks like to live the full life that comes with the the good, the hard, but always Jesus. Mm. Well, I think I'd, I'd like to add to the conversation on Psalm 23, just thinking through who wrote it. You know, so you get a Psalm of David here who was himself a shepherd, right? So he's the shepherd boy made king, and and he goes from shepherd to you know, king and warrior, and you just think about the things that are written in Psalm 23, and these are things that David himself experienced, and David was far from perfect, but he's known as a man after God's own heart, and you hear and see his heart for God in this, and you see how he would approach worry and fear and suffering and struggles because of who he is in in his relationship with God. And then you think about David's story and the details of it and the, the, the things that he, I mean, he had really real threats. There were things to worry and fear. He experienced some very true suffering and struggle. He had his own sin struggles and he had things that he, you know, a result of his sins and things that were not a result of his sins. So anyway, all that to say, like when you look through this, through the lens of David as a shepherd, uh, but also through the story of David, mm-hmm. I think that makes it even more powerful. Yeah. Hmm. It really is a powerful psalm. Uh, and it makes me just think, again, I think of the times I see shepherds and sheep. And I think, like you said, I think about really the word is not that they're dumb. It's just helpless, defenseless. defenseless. And I think about, man, a, a shepherd who's willing to lay their life down for those sheep and who the sheep feel. I, just putting myself in the, you know, I, imagining myself as a sheep being led by Jesus you know, I don't fear evil, um, that his rod and staff comfort me because he's near me. You know, there, there's a promise here of peace in the midst of the hard, um, even though the hard will come. I think it's a good Well, and those shepherds that you see tending flocks in Kenya, they're protecting them from lions yeah, and like cheetahs. Actual, actual yeah. predators. Yeah, like the big ones. Yeah. The, the big five <laughs> kind of predators, you know. The ones that are uh, in massive cages in the zoo. I think they're if I was there. the shepherd in Kenya, I'd be like, well, it's okay if he has one. <laughs> Hungry fella. <laughs> ah, Jim Carrey, see? You know what I'm boo Bumblebee turnip. That ought to hold you. Well, that's kind of all we got today. We're glad you listened. And if you're in small group, we hope that these podcasts and these discussions help deepen the conversations you're having in small group. And if you're not in a small group, we'd love for you to be able to do this, to sit around and talk with people about the things that matter most and have some laughs along the way. So we're always willing to connect to you. You can shoot us an email at smallgroups.brazzespoint.com. We love you guys, and we'll see you next week. All righty then. (laughs) 